God bless you and welcome to the Solution Radio Show. Thank you for joining me today. I'm Greg Backus, your host. Jesus Christ is the solution for all the situations you and I might find ourselves in. He is God's solution for all mankind for all time. He stated in the Gospel of John, chapter 14, verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the light. No man comes unto the Father but by me. He is the way, the truth, and the light. Jesus Christ is the one who makes a difference. He made a difference in people's lives 2,000 years ago when he lived and walked among people. And he makes a difference today because he was raised from the dead and he is seated at God's right hand in the heavenlies. I trust that Christ Jesus makes a difference in your life today, that you see the tremendous love that God has for you, that you come to have a deeper and more full relationship with God as your Heavenly Father, that you see your purpose in life is far above the day-to-day circumstances of life. God's love for you It knows no bounds. Today we'll hear some wonderful music, read some of the Bible together regarding Christ Jesus as head of the church, and our interview segment is with Roger Breaker. Roger is a teacher of God's Word and the author of Poverty vs. Wealth, Fundamentals in Prosperity. It's an interview I'm sure you will enjoy. If you enjoy our broadcasts here on the Solution Radio Show, please tell your friends about us, that they can listen live here in the Chicago area on 1280 AM WBIG. That's uh, 10 AM to 11 AM on uh, Sunday mornings. And then also, all of our shows are archived on the thesolutionradioshow.com. Uh, you can go there and listen to previous shows. If you enjoy what you hear, please email that link, that website, onto your friends. And also, please feel free to post it on social media. Let's start off with this song by Matthew West, Grace Wins. In my weakest moment I see you Shaking your head in disgrace I can read the disappointment Written all over your face Here come those whispers in my ear Saying who do you think you are Looks like you're on your own from here Cause grace could never reach that far But in the shadow of that shame The way it feels 
floods a thirsty soul The broken side begins to heal And grace returns with guilty stole And in the shadow of that shame Beat down by all the blame I hear you call my name Saying it's not over And my heart starts to beat so loud Now drowning out the doubt I'm down but I'm not out There's no war between Guilt and grace And they're fighting for a sin I'd like to start off by asking the question, who is the head of the church today? There are literally thousands of different so-called Christian denominations and offshoots of Christian groups in the United States and around the world. Some might say that the head of the church is their denominational leader or the president of their organization. Another question, what is the church today? Some might say that the building on the corner is the church, or those that come to my building or location on Sunday, they are the church, or those that attend my weekly small group in my home, they are the church. What we are most interested in in seeing is from God's perspective, from the Word of God, who is the head of the church, and who or what makes up the church today. Let's begin in Colossians chapter 1, if you've got your Bible handy and would like to follow along. Uh, we'll read here verses 18 and 19. And he, Christ Jesus, is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. For it pleased the Father, verse 19, that in Christ should all fullness dwell. Right here in Colossians, 
it tells us that Christ is the head of the body and that the body of Christ is the church of which Christ is the head. If Christ is the head, then he is the one that is to direct and to lead the church. Also here in Colossians it states that Christ is the firstborn from the dead. He was the first one to be raised from the dead by God the Father. And he is now seated at God's right hand in heavenly places. Verse 19 states that in Christ all fullness or completeness dwells in him. Christ Jesus has all that is available. God withheld nothing from him in his exalted state at his Father's right hand. Christ is worthy to be head of the church because of his obedience to the Father to the end of dying on the cross for you and I. His obedience resulted in him being made the head of the body. Christ Jesus has a position of great prominence and honor. He is worthy of his status because of his accomplished work in God's plan of redemption for all mankind. In the first century church, you know, they had at that time some of the same type of conflict and contention that we see in the church today. Initially in the Corinthian church, Paul confronted the error of God's people not recognizing Christ as the head of the body of Christ, the church. Let's take a look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1. We'll start here in verse 10. Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. Right here in this verse is the key to eliminating division in the church today. Speak the same thing. Have the same mind or thoughts and the same opinion. The same here, this is referring to the things of God, His Word, His plan of salvation, who Christ is as the head of the church. It's not talking about or referring to that we all cheer for the same baseball team or that we all like the same kind of food. No, we are to be like-minded regarding the things of God and his word. Let's continue in verse 11. For it has been declared unto me of you, my brethren, by them which are of the house of Chloe, that there are contentions among you. Now this I say that every one of you says, I am of Paul, or I am of Apollos, or I of Cephas, or I am of Christ. Right there in that verse 12, we've got four denominations. Some said they stood with Paul, Others said they stood with Apollos. Others said they stood with Cephas. And then some said they stood with Christ. Well, Christ is the only one to stand with. We live and we work together standing on the truth of God's word and for the outreach of the gospel of Christ. We stand for Christ. It can only be the ego and the pride of men and women that will cause some to stand with others than to stand with Christ. The pride of men will always cause division in the church. Some may say that they have a, a new word from the Lord, or that they have a corner on truth. Others, in outright defiance of God, will state that you must listen to them because of their position or their status in an organization or a group. 
genuine leadership within the body of Christ will always recognize Christ as the head, and by their words and actions they will lead you to Christ, not from him to another. The love of God will be clearly evident, not a hardness of heart. At times those whom you would think should be the most loving are hard-hearted and cruel. That can only be because they have lost sight of what God has done for them through Christ and that Christ is the head of the church. When we see our true identity in Christ, then we recognize and we know the love, the grace, and the forgiveness that our Father has shown towards each of us. Then we, in turn, we can demonstrate and we can give that same love, grace, and forgiveness to others. Paul goes on here in verse 13 to state, Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you but Crispus and Gaius, lest any should say that I had baptized in my own name. And I baptized also the household of Stephanus. Besides, I know not whether I baptized any other. Verse 17, Paul says, For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. Paul was sent to preach the gospel. The uncontaminated, pure, preached gospel of Christ will reach the hearts, it will reach the hearts of those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. It's the preached gospel of Christ, the light of God's word. That is what exposes the darkness found in division, pride, and ego. Something to always look at when referring to the things of God is who gets the glory. If the glory and the praise goes to men, something's not right. The praise and glory in the work that you and I carry out for our Father is to always glorify God. Continuing near towards the end of 1 Corinthians chapter 1, uh, verse 29 through 31, No flesh should glory in his presence, but of him are you in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption that according as it is written, he that glories or boasts, let him glory in the Lord. No flesh is to glory in the presence of God. Why? Because all that we've received, all that we are of any eternal value, we have received through the accomplished work of Jesus Christ and the love of God. It says there in verse 30 that, God has made unto us wisdom. Wisdom. We have wisdom. God's word is the wisdom of God. And when we need wisdom in a specific situation, we can go to our Heavenly Father and He gives wisdom liberally. 
What about righteousness? Righteousness. We are righteous in Christ. He is our complete substitute in the payment for the sin of mankind. We are a new creation in Christ, not a new creation in my own ability. Our righteousness is based on spiritual truth. It's not of our own works. And what about sanctification? Sanctification. We are set apart in Christ. Our separateness is not due to income, education, physical prowess, or any other measurable stat by way of the senses. Our sanctification, our distinction, is spiritual in nature. It's because of the Spirit that we have received from our Father. And then redemption. Redemption. Christ paid the price to redeem us from the clutches of the adversary, God's archenemy, the devil. He did for us what we could never do for ourselves. It's a spiritual truth and reality. We have been rescued from the powers of darkness. Our redemption, it's complete. It is as real today as it's ever been, and it will be true and real through all eternity. If we're going to glory or boast in anything, let it be in the Lord, let it be in God, and in all that he has done for us through Christ. Uh, Jeremiah chapter 9, let's read verses 23 and 24. Thus says the Lord, Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, neither let the mighty man glory in his might, let not the rich man glory in his riches. But let him that glories glory in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord which exercises loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, says the Lord. When we see the division that occurred in the Corinthian church, as well as that which we see today, in light of God's perspective, His Word, we see just how foolish division, ego, and pride really are. There is no genuine substance in that which is built on the pride of man. Pride comes before a fall. The greater the pride, well, the greater the fall. As we saw earlier in Colossians 1.18, Christ Jesus is the head of the church. Let's look at Ephesians chapter 1 verses 19 to 23 to see a little more understanding in how Christ is the head of the body and the body being the church today. It says here in verse 19 of Ephesians 1, What is the exceeding greatness of God's power towards us who believe according to the working of his mighty power which he energized in Christ when he raised him from the dead? and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places. Far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. Verse 22, And God has put all things under Christ's feet, and gave him, Christ, to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of God, that fills all in all. 
God the Father, he put all things under the feet of Jesus Christ. He made him to be the head over all things to the church. Who is the church? The church is you. The church is God's people. The church is those whom have been born again by way of confessing Jesus as Lord, believing that God raised him from the dead. We are the church. The people that have believed on the Lord Jesus Christ are the church. And the church is the body of Christ, of which Christ is the head. And by way of the Spirit, God fills all of the church. In the church, where is there any room for the pride of man? It's laughable that any person or group, whether they be of Paul, Apollos, or Cephas, would endeavor to elevate themselves above another, let alone try to elevate themselves above Christ. Those that are in Christ are already elevated by being in the body of Christ, which is the church. The church is seated at God's right hand in the heavenlies. Ephesians chapter 2 Verses 4 through 10 elaborate on some more of this. But God, who is rich in mercy, God is rich in mercy. He's not sparingly in mercy. He's not stingy in mercy. He's not withholding mercy. God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, has quickened us together, or made us alive together with Christ. By grace you are saved. Verse 6, And he has raised us up together, and he has made us to sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he, God, might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us, through Christ Jesus. That verse 7 is remarkable here in Ephesians chapter 2 because it literally means that God will put his people on display to show how great he is. And it will take all eternity for our Heavenly Father to show his great love, his great riches of his grace, and the exceeding greatness of his mercy. Verse 8. For by grace are you saved through faith or believing, and that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not of works, lest any one of us should boast. For we are God's workmanship, verse 10, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God has before prepared that we should walk in them. What wonderful and remarkable truth we see there in Ephesians chapter 2. I believe that today is like no other in the sense of the urgency of our times. People, society, cultures, countries, they're at a crossroad. Evil is bold today and it's prevalent in this world almost everywhere you look. The world is perishing and it's continuing to get darker and darker by the moment. I don't say that to be a downer and I don't say that to magnify darkness. Rather, I say it 
that we would recognize that we, God's children, are to be the light in this world. We just read here in verse 10 that we're God's workmanship, we're his masterpiece. And our purpose is to do the good works that he has prepared for us before the foundation of the world. So that we might live the calling that he's called us to as his children. Christ is the head of the church. We are the church. God has filled all of the church, each of us, with his spirit. There is no room, nor time today, or any day, to accommodate the ego or the pride of men. Nor, on the other extreme, is there time to accommodate self-condemnation or thoughts of inadequacy and shortcoming. Really, you know, thoughts of despair and defeat, they're just as bad as pride and ego because it's literally calling God a liar. It's saying, God, you really didn't redeem me through Christ. I really don't have your righteousness. God, you didn't know what you were doing when you called me to be yours. What a lie. What a deception. We are who God's word says we are. Nothing more, nothing less, but filled with all the fullness of God in Christ. Colossians chapter 1, let's look at verse 25 through 29. Paul speaking here, as he's inspired by God to write these words, he says, Whereof I am made a minister, according to the administration of God, which is given to me for you to fulfill the word of God, even the mystery, which has been hid from ages and from generations. But now the mystery is made manifest to his saints. And what was that mystery? The mystery was that both Judean and Gentile would be part of the body of Christ and fully reconciled back to God because of the accomplished work of Jesus Christ. Well, the next verse tells us what are the riches of the glory of that mystery. Verse 27, To whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. All that Christ is and all that he has today is in those who have become born again of God's Spirit because of God's grace, because of God's mercy, because of God's love. The riches of the glory of the completeness that we have in Christ is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Verse 28, Paul says, Whom we preach, it's Christ we preach. We don't preach an organization or a group or a man or anything else. It's Christ that we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect or complete to the end for which he's intended in Christ. Whereunto, verse 29, Paul says, I labor, striving according to his working, which works in me mightily. Those of us that know the Christ within, let's labor. Let's labor, persevering according to the Spirit's working within. Remember Philippians chapter 2, verse 13? 
It's God who works within you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. And then we're to do that which God works within, the verse following 13 says, without murmurings and disputings. In other words, don't argue with God. (laughs) Our Heavenly Father works within us to will and to do of his good pleasure. For such a time as this, we have been called to love people with the love of God, to speak God's word, and to walk in the greatness of the grace, the mercy, the power, and the forgiveness with which the Father has shown each of us. Look at Colossians chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. For in Christ dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you, you are complete in him which is the head of all principality and power. We are complete in him, lacking nothing. He is our head. He is the head of the church, of the body of Christ. We are the church. What an amazingly wonderful life we have been called to live. True satisfaction and joy will only be found in living for God his magnificent Son, Jesus Christ, and in proclaiming to a perishing world the truth of his word. Let today in your life be like no other, where God is praised and glorified, wherever you are, because you live for him. ground 
His body lay, light of the world by darkness slain. Then bursting forth in glorious day, up from the grave He rose again. And as He stands in victory, sin's curse is Our guest today is Roger Breaker. Roger has been involved in Bible study and home Bible fellowship since 1973. He is the author of Poverty vs. Wealth, Fundamentals in Prosperity. Roger is also a dad, a grandfather, entrepreneur, problem solver, thinker, lifelong reader, and a savings evangelist, and he's a wannabe fisherman. I'd like to welcome Roger Breaker to the Solution Radio Show. Welcome, Roger. Well, thank you, Greg. It's nice to be here. And Well, it's great to have you. And about that wannabe fisherman, I'll bet over the years you've caught a few big ones. A few, but not nearly as many as what I'd like to. Right. Well, they have to go fishing tomorrow then or something. Uh, yeah. Now, your book, I just finished reading your book the other day, Poverty versus Wealth, Fundamentals and Prosperity. So your perspective from God's Word is it God's will for people to prosper? Uh, is there any truth that we sometimes hear that the humble are to be financially poor, as is taught in some churches? It is God's will for people to prosper. Third John 2 says, Beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health. And it's interesting. Those two items, prosperity and health, are the things that as people move through life, they have the biggest trouble with. People just have difficulty in those two areas, and God says he would like for us to prosper and be in health, even as our soul prospers. But the thing about the humble, is very truth that the humble are financially poor. 
That is a, a wrong doctrine that came out of the Dark Ages. It was for two different reasons. One of them was is that the Church didn't want people trying to climb into the clergy, and the landowners that gave a lot of money to the Church didn't want the people trying to become landowners. Hmm. And so the Church taught that you needed to stay in the, in the system or the caste or the level of life God put you in when you were born. The other problem that, that developed out of the Dark Ages was that the Church became so wealthy, they owned at some point over 20% of the land in Western Europe. And because of those excesses, some monks began to take vows of poverty to contrast the excessive wealth of the Church. And it's part of where that, uh, if you're going to be humble, you have to be poor, came out of those monks taking those vows of poverty and working amongst the people. But none of those things come from the Scriptures. The Scripture says, Beloved, I wish above all things that thou hast prosper and be in health. The thing about that is, is that if you look through the Gospels and you read what Jesus Christ said, he never mentioned poverty as a virtue, not one time. And if you think about it, the Church, in order for it to function, it has to have support, financial support. The poor can't do that. And the humble are those that believe God's Word. So if God says He wants you to prosper and you believe that, that is a humble attitude. Well, that's a wonderful way to live, knowing that God desires for us to to prosper and to be in health. Uh, At times, you know, many in the Christian Church uh, appear to not have their need met, you know, living paycheck to paycheck, uh, distracted by their lack of finances. Can you summarize for us some key steps for a way out of that lifestyle? Certainly. The first and great commandment in the Bible is to love God with all your heart. And that's part of the the uh, background of this book is that to keep God first. It says in 3 John 2, as your soul prospers. So to keep God first, that's simply a decision of the heart. And if you start with that basis, then you're going to keep what his word says. And part of what, his, what the Bible says to do is to become a giver both the giver in the church and the giver to people that need. So the first step would be to keep God first. The second is to become a giver. And as this book shows, he also expects us to save our money. And so that the third step would be to begin saving some of the money that you make each week, no matter how small it is. And with those three steps in that order, that is the fundamentals of how to work your way out of the financial need category. Well, some tremendous truth there. It reminds me about seeking God first, and he supplies all things else that we might need in this life. And like you just mentioned, you know, about keeping God first in your life, well, that's the number one first principle. Um, can you maybe elaborate or give us uh, some insight into how we can keep God first in our life? The first thing about keeping God first in your life, it's a matter of a decision of your heart. If your heart, if in your heart you decide you want to keep God first, then the first place you're going to go is to your Bible and begin to read some of it. And I would suggest to read the church epistles, which would be Romans through Thessalonians, read some of the Gospels, and read the book of Proverbs. Proverbs has a tremendous amount of wisdom in it. And if you've never read the Bible much before, I would skip those parts that have to do with genealogies, who begat who, they're not really, at this point, would not add much to your understanding. But just read the records in the Bible to, to learn about what God's like and who He is and what He's done for you, what, he, what His Son did for you. 
And as you learn things, you're not going to learn them all in one day, but as you see things that strike your heart, think about them during the daytime and ask God to explain them to you and to teach them to you. Another thing you can do is listen to others teach the Bible, but for that you're going to have to find good teachers, because like you mentioned earlier, some of the church teach, in order to be humble, you have to be poor. That's not the kind of teacher you want to listen to, because it contradicts what God says in His Word. Then to learn to think each day about what you're learning. Part of keeping God first and keeping Him in your heart first is to learn to just let His Word occupy your mind. Take a verse in Proverbs that deals with finances and just memorize that and think about that and ask God, how can I apply that in my life? And as you ask Him, He will teach you if you want to know. Roger, in the book, too, you talk a lot about giving. Uh, how does giving to the church as well as giving to others tie into true prosperity? Well, as you read through your Bible, you'll see that God expects you to become a giver. Giving is just part of how God set life up. God's the one that set the universe in order. He set up the laws of mathematics. He set up the laws of physics. He set up the laws that govern our earth. And one of those laws that govern this world, that governs this world we live in, is the law of giving. And he shows you that himself in, his, in, in, his, in the Bible. Remember third, uh, John 3.16, it says, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son? Mm-hmm. He's a giver. In the, in, in the act of giving his son, and that his son died, God received back millions of children that were born of his spirit. Jesus Christ, his son, willingly gave up his life so that we could be God's sons and daughters. And for that, God honored him by seating him at his right hand in the heavenly. It's never a deal where if you give, if you give $10, he only gives you 10 back. The principle of giving is, is that as you give, you receive back way more than what it is that you gave in the first place. And he shows you that that's what he wants us to do, and it's what he himself does also. That may reminds me, I remember I heard somebody once say, you can never outgive God, which is, yeah. that's a wonderful thing to remember. You're never poorer for giving, that's for sure. You also have in, in the book a chapter on storehouses, and maybe that term might be new to a lot of the listeners. Uh, what is a storehouse, and, and how do we build up our storehouses? Storehouses are simply places where you store up a, the surplus that you receive back in. The Bible is basically written to people that were agricultural. So if you plant a crop of wheat, uh, then when you harvest it, you have to have some place to store it because you can't eat it all in one week. In our in our culture, we get paid. We usually spend our whole paycheck in a week. But then their culture, they were agricultural. They had to have some place to store their surplus. And so in our culture, a, a, a storehouse might be a barn. You know, barns are made to hold hay, they hold, uh, they hold grain, silos hold silage if you were ever been around a farm. But they're just places to store the surplus. In our culture, this is one of the things why I missed this for so long myself, is he says your barns shall be filled with plenty. I don't have a barn. I don't know of anybody other than my relatives that are dairy farmers that own a barn. So it just goes right over our head. Our barns will be filled with plenty. But in our culture, it would be a bank. If I have a surplus that comes in, even if it's a dollar each week, I had need to have a place to store that. So where they dealt with crops and barns, we deal with money and banks. It's all the same thing. It's a place to put that 
which God bless you with is a place to put it, a place to store it. So that's what a storehouse would be. And then you do have a chapter titled Saving Money. In that chapter, you list six financial disciplines that we should make a part of our life. Can you briefly touch on those for us? Yes. The first financial discipline would be would be to become a giver. You don't have to, if you've never given before and you don't have much to give, you can start with a dollar or start with the, your change in your pocket. And when you go to church, give it in the plate. If the girl knocks on your door selling Girl Scout cookies, buy a dollar's worth from her. But just become a giver. The second thing is, is to save some of the surplus. I know it might be easy for you, some of the listeners, to think, I don't have a surplus. I It takes every penny I've got. Well, it's not that you don't have the surplus. It's just that we, we have learned to spend everything that we make, and that's how we structured our lives. So you just have to go through your finances and find some place to begin to save, even if it's a dollar a week. It's the principle. Learn to give. Learn to save. Then you need to have a place to put it. Have a bank account or a barn to put it in. The fourth thing would be don't spend everything you make. Take a look at your finances and figure out what is it that I could do without and not spend all this money that comes back in. The fifth one is is that this saving of money should be taught whenever we teach people to give. I know I was taught to be a uh, to be a tither or a giver when I was a small child. I, I, it wasn't until after I became an adult that I learned that as you gave, God would give back to you, which are promises in the Bible. But it's just been in the last few years that I learned that not only does he give back to you, but he expects you to save some of that which he gives back to you. So if you're going to teach people to give, you need to teach them also that God will bless it back to them and that they need to save part of that increase. The sixth thing would be, the storehouse principle begins to move us out of the realm of being just a consumer into that of being a producer. And that this is what that means. If, if I spend everything I make, I'm a consumer. But once I begin to save part of that money, after I've been saving for two or three years, I've got to begin to have a bank account that I can do something with. I could go out and buy uh, uh, old boats and turn around and sell them for a profit. I could buy old cars, sell them for a profit. I could go to flea markets like some people do and sell the stuff on eBay. I could buy storage buildings and, and then to learn to trade that stuff and make money with the money that I've been saving so that it begins to produce more of a profit. And then I become more of a producer and not just a consumer. Well, those are some wonderful principles, Roger, that can really help to turn someone's life around from the poverty mentality into prosperity mentality. I know I've got to apply a couple of those in my life right now for sure. Uh, in closing today, is there something that you'd like to share with our listeners to encourage them in the things of God? Yes, that would be this. God is a great teacher. If you ask him to teach you how this stuff works, he will definitely do that. There are many verses in the Bible that talk about God God's ability to teach. One of them that comes to mind is Paul talking to Timothy. He says to Timothy, consider what I say, which consider means to ponder, to think about it, to roll it over in your mind. Paul says, what I say, and the Lord give thee understanding in all things. If you're willing to think about these principles, once you read that book, God will, and he will show you how they work. 
There's another one in the book of Psalms that I can't quote it exactly, but the psalmist is Psalm 119, and it's around verse 89 somewhere. The psalmist says that the scriptures were his meditation day and night, and that he meditated in them long enough that he learned more than his teachers. And he also then said because he applied God's word in his life, God gave him even more understanding, and he had greater wisdom than even the ancients had. Uh, there's another verse where the psalmist said, uh, he teaches my fingers to war and my hands to fight. God is just a great, great teacher. And if you want to know and you want to understand, go to his word, pick verses that you want to acquire in your life, and ask him, teach me, how do these things work? And he will, without a doubt, teach you, because that is true humility. It hasn't had anything to do with whether you're rich or whether you're poor. Humility is just asking him to teach you, and he has no problem doing that. He loves to teach people. And that's the thing I would, if you ask him to teach you about your finances, he will also do that too. Thank you, Roger. That's really some wonderful truth and some encouraging words there. Now, if our listeners wanted to get a hold of you, uh, either to order your book, or maybe they'd like to have you come uh, share and teach at their church or their small group Bible study, what would be the best way for them to reach you? You can just email me at, uh, I have a website that we do a blog off of called rogerbreaker.com. Breaker spelled B-R-A-K-E-R, like the brakes on a car. And you can email me at roger at rogerbreaker.com. And I those come straight to me. Okay. And so that would be the best way there is to be able to get a hold of me. Okay. And they can order your book uh, either through the website or Amazon as well, correct? Right. I don't think they can order it through the website, but it's available on Amazon. It's, uh, you can buy it either as an ebook or as a paperback through Amazon, and they ship them out very quickly. Okay, I'll put... They're very nice little books. Oh, yes, I ordered it on Kindle, and it's instantaneous reading when you do it that way, which is perfect. Right, and it also doesn't clutter up your desk. (laughs) (laughs) Right, right. I'll put links up for um, your email as well as your website and a link to the book on Amazon also for our listeners. I I, appreciate that. I want to thank you for being with us today. I I really appreciate your time. Uh, God bless you, Roger. Bless you too, Greg. Thank you very much for having me on. You're welcome. I can only imagine what it will be like when I walk by your side. I can only imagine what my eyes will see when your face is looking at me surrounded by your glory what will my heart feel will i dance for you jesus or in all of you be still can only imagine all creation bowed down the whole universe saying your name out loud i can only imagine all our broken lives resurrected 
Thank you for joining us today on the Solution Radio Show, and thank you to Roger Breaker for sharing his heart and life with us today as well. If you enjoy the Solution Radio Show, please tell your friends. 
email them the link to the solutionradioshow.com. Post about it on uh, social media if you'd like, and if you're in the Chicago area, you certainly may listen live on Sunday mornings, WBIG 1280 AM. On our website, you can re-listen to all of the shows. They're all archived there, as well as we've got links to the websites of our guests, musicians, and sponsors. Also on the website, there is a page for upcoming events. If you'd like your event listed, uh, send the information to info at the solutionradioshow.com. A reminder that the praise line is open 24 hours a day where you may call in and give a testimony of God's working in your heart and life. The number is 844-705-3410. Once again, that number, 844-705-3410. Please continue to keep in your prayers the expansion of the Solution Radio Show. Uh, Due to the wonders of modern technology, we know that we have listeners all throughout the United States and many, many countries around the world. I, I believe it's over 75 countries where we've got someone that listens to the program. The Solution Radio Show is listener-supported, both by your prayers and your financial giving. All donations are tax-deductible. Thank you for your support. It's greatly appreciated. Our mailing address is The Solution Radio Show, P.O. Box 9002, Naperville, Illinois, 60567. Once again, that mailing address, P.O. Box 9002, Naperville, Illinois, 60567. There is also a donation link available on our website at thesolutionradioshow.com. Have an awesome rest of your day. God bless you. You are God's very best.